0: that it was offered to me, that I received that grace. And I thank you for those here who have. And Lord, I pray that for those who are here that have not received that grace, for those listening online or uh, later on if, if, if they're watching this, that they have not received the grace that is offered through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would do that. Lord, as we come this morning to your word, God, I pray that we would have no idols, just as we sang, that there would be nothing that would interfere with our ability to hear your clear word to us this morning, that we would respond to it, that we would act accordingly, we would adjust our lives as needed, and Lord, that we would follow you, that we would trust you, and that we'd have our one and only goal in life to serve you in Jesus' name we pray amen well there's a new a new rule for Michael on Sunday mornings don't give blood Um, the stool is here because I couldn't handle it ice packs in case I pass out it's a All the nurses in here are worried about me all of a sudden. Didn't care last week. This week they're worried. Um, So, I cannot give blood on Sunday mornings anymore because, at least not with the whole give, take blood, give plasma and saline, they had a new thing and I tried it and it's what I get, I guess. So, if I pass out just step over me as you walk out. If I, I, sh- I should just be up here though. I don't know why you'd be coming up here if you were walking out and maybe just to kick me while I'm down. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 10 and 11 and the title of the message this morning is Our Goal Death. Well the reality is we're going to achieve that. That's that's a simple goal to reach, but, you know, we're going to expand on that just a little bit. Uh, our, our goal is not simply to die. Uh, there's more to it than that, but, uh, but that is our goal, death. And that's what we're going to look at in verses 10 through 11. But before, before we get there, it, we didn't get to watch the Olympics this summer in Tokyo. It, it'll be next summer. They just postponed them a year. That's what they're saying now, um, but they're also talking about no college fall sports, so who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But Olympic athletes have one purpose. They have one goal in life. It is that gold medal. Now, once they're done with the Olympics, they move on from amateur to professional, though that's not a thing really anymore. It used to be, but, but now it's not. But once they move from Olympics to doing other things, it, it's, that's, that's not the goal, but While they are training for the Olympics, that is it. That gold medal, that is the one thing that they want. Their one goal in life. And everything in their lives revolves around that. Um, Michael Phelps didn't win all those gold medals because swimming was a hobby. It was what he did. He got up in the morning, and every decision he made that day got him closer to that gold medal. Uh, pick any of the star athletes that we, that we celebrate, uh, in, in the Olympics in particular, but, but in any sport. As a matter of fact, Paul, as we uh, get a little further on, is going to use some sports analogies uh, to, to, to talk about his Christian walk. That was his goal Every day, Paul's goal, every day, we find in verse 10. Even also, he starts off even saying in verse 10, My goal, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. As we read Paul's all of Paul's letters, as we look at his life and, and, and uh, his, his missionary life in Acts, we see over and over what his one purpose, his one goal was. It was Jesus to make him known. Here he talks about it a little more succinctly. I, I've kind of broken down the verse for you here left out a few words here and there i'm not you know not too much i didn't do anything wrong to scripture so don't don't hit me with that but just to kind of show you how the sentence breaks down his goal is to know him that's the overarching theme but then he says the the two ways that he wants to know him or the two ways he will know him the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Those two things go hand in hand. And then in knowing Him, He will be conformed, or by, through knowing Him, He will be being conformed to His death, thus assuming that He may reach the resurrection. gives you a little visual there of, of what it looks like. I want to go back, though, and uh, this isn't on the screen, uh, but I want to start at verse 1 of chapter 3, because this is all one sentence. Chapter 1 through verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1 through verse 11 of chapter 3 are, are all one sentence. So we kind of need to get a running start into verses 9 and 10, but we need to hear what Paul has already said. We've talked about it over the past previous weeks, but we, we, uh, we might have forgotten Let's see how he gets to his one goal here. So uh, it's not on the screen, like I said. So if you have your own copy or uh, your digital version of the Bible, flip back, scroll back, whatever, to verse 1, where Paul says, verse 1 of chapter 3, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To To write you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. I think it's important to hear that context of what he's telling the Philippians to do. Watch out, watch out, watch out. How he goes on to say, I have all the I could put all the confidence in the world in my abilities in the things that i have gone through the things that i have done in order to be the whatever god tells me i'm or whatever man man tells me i need to be those actions those outward appearances those shows of faith when in fact all those things don't matter my goal is not what i can do but my goal is to know jesus and that's where we are this morning Verse 10, our goal is to know Christ. That's our goal. Because he's not just saying my goal as if, well, that's great for you, Paul. I mean, you, we know you. You're you're this great missionary guy, follows Jesus, but you know, that's not our goal. No, no. He's setting himself up as an example here for us to follow. Our goal, point number one, is to know Christ. If it's our goal, then it is our singular purpose, just like the, the, the Olympic athlete that gets up in the morning and, 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 and how long they slept was chosen to, to make sure that they were the best they could be that day for training. And their, their breakfast was perfectly balanced, all the right amounts of protein and carbs to build muscle and give them the energy and then the morning workout and then the next meal and the afternoon workout and then the next meal and and sleep that night and then maybe the next day it's a half a day of rest because that's what they need in order for their muscles to recover. Every day is like that. Their one singular purpose is to win that gold medal. Paul says, my goal, my one singular purpose, the thing that I wake up thinking about, the thing that I go to bed thinking about, and the thing that occupies my mind all day long is to know Christ. Now, when the Bible uses uh, the phrase to know, it is not just talking about knowledge, not just talking about, head knowledge. Uh, Your King James Version especially will talk about Adam knowing Eve. We know what it means. It's talking about an intimate relationship. So even it's not going obviously that far in this context, but the intimacy of the relationship is like that. Paul is not saying my goal is to have some sort of head knowledge of Jesus. Not, my goal is not to be able to articulate the, 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 the differences between Jesus and God, and their, but His similarities as well. I'm not here to argue for His humanity and His divinity. I, I'm not talking about knowing all the things that He did that were recorded in the Gospels. I'm not talking about just being able to express His, uh, his life in some sort of narrative, Paul is talking about intimacy in relationship. And that is only achieved through intimacy in relationship. You only deepen your relationship with someone by deepening your relationship with them. And that's what Paul says he must do. His goal, his singular purpose, is to have a more intimate relationship. Now, it would be interesting, I mean, it is interesting. This has been, oh, 25, 30 years since the Damascus Road. Uh, Some uh, folks say that the, the 14, 15 years that Paul spent in the Arabian Desert after his conversion was time spent directly with Jesus. Like, Jesus showed up and talked to him in a similar way to how he came to him on the Damascus Road. Now, we don't have any uh, real evidence of that. It, Paul makes some comments that kind of make you think, oh, maybe that's what happened. Uh, when he says things in, like in, um, I think, 2 Corinthians, where he's talking about uh, the Lord's Supper, and he says, I repeat to you what the Lord gave to me. And some folks have taken that to mean he spent physical time with Jesus. He may have, he may not have. I ain't going to hang my hat on that one way or the other. But we know he had an intimate relationship in prayer. We know that God sent him visions regularly, either of a Macedonian man or Jesus himself, the, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, he would say, All these different things. He knew God. He knew Jesus. And yet, 30 years on, possibly toward the end of his life, Paul is saying, my goal is to know Jesus. To know Christ. And we would want to say, Paul, you know him. And I think Paul would say, guys, I have not even scratched the surface of knowing God. Of knowing Christ. I am nowhere near where I want to be. We should hear from Paul right now just in that little phrase. Believer, it does not matter how long you have been walking with Jesus, you don't know Jesus like you could. You don't know Jesus how he wants you to, and you've got a long time yet to spend knowing him better. No matter how much longer you have on this earth, no matter how long you've been with Jesus, To spend intimate, relational time with Him is to know Him more, and that should be our goal. What does that look like? What what is Paul, when he says, I want to know Christ, what is he talking about knowing? That's those two phrases, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. The first one, the power of His resurrection there in verse 10. My goal is to know Him. The Greek word for and can mean a lot of things. So it actually probably means my goal is to know him. That is, the power of his resurrection. Well, what is the power of his resurrection? We could spend a lot of time here today and talking about the power of his resurrection. But there are four, I think, uh, points that we can pull out about the power of his resurrection here. The first, obviously, is the defeat of death. The power of the resurrection is death has no more sting, no more victory. Death has no more control. It has no more grip on our heart. There is no longer any fear of death. It has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul wants to know the uh, power of that. Well, what is he talking about? And Michael, you said the title of this sermon is Our Goal death so if we've defeated death why is that our goal well for one thing death is the only way we're going to ever have the most intimate relationship possible with jesus that's how we will see him face to face paul wants to know in this life the power the the knowledge of jesus as if he had already died The power of the resurrection is that we can have intimacy with Jesus even though we can't see Him. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the joy of the defeat of death. That is us being able to stand on this side of heaven and say, death is defeated and now I have life abundantly today in Jesus Christ. If we don't fear the end, if we don't fear what's coming, then that gives us so much more joy and focus today. The second thing I see here is the defeat of sin. At the cross, sin was defeated. Of course, we didn't really know that, right? We knew it because Jesus said. It's kind of like when Jesus told the, the Pharisees that were there Uh, When he was preaching, and the man was let down through the 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 uh, paralytic was let down through the roof, and he he says to the man, "Your sins are forgiven." And the Pharisees are thinking in their heads, "How can this man forgive sins?" And Jesus says to them, "It's easy to say your sins are forgiven, right? There's there's no proof of that. There's no evidence that that his sins are really forgiven just because I said it." So in that case, dude get up and walk. Guy gets up and walks. So, Jesus is showing them, you're not sure I can forgive sins just by my words. Well, I can make this guy that you know has not walked his entire life, I can make him walk just by my words. So, let me assure you I can forgive sins. Okay, so that maybe that wasn't enough evidence for them. It was a magic trick. It was something. He he, he, he did something, you know, that, that doesn't work. Well, what the cross did was took our sins. The cross took the punishment for our sins. The cross defeated sins. But three days later, when people were standing around wondering, are our sins really gone? I mean, I know Jesus said his death did it, but, but how, does, how, do, how are we going to prove that? Well, then Jesus knocked on the door, showed up, and said, hey, by the way, I told you I could defeat sin. I told you I could defeat death. Here I am. Death done. Do you understand now that sin is done as well? By his resurrection, he defeated sin. Paul wants to know the power of that. And that is a power we have. Paul wants to know the power of defeating sin in his, whole, in his own life. The power of the resurrection is the power over sin we don't have to give in to sin. We do, but we don't have to. And Paul wants to know that. Paul wants to know the ability to defeat sin. It is the power of the resurrection that allows us to do it. It is the knowledge that if Jesus said he can beat sin, and he said he can beat death, he did both of those things, and we have that same power as well thirdly, the power of His resurrection shows the revealing of life. That life is an abundant gift that we are given in Christ. The the resurrection says that life wins. The resurrection says that life can be lived for Christ. I can live knowing Jesus more through the power of His resurrection. I don't have to spend my entire life dreading something that's been defeated. We've probably all known folks that, that look at death as this horrible thing that they don't want to ever encounter. And, and nobody wants to leave early, and, and very few of us really want to leave late. We don't want to go, but it's one thing to want to stay here. It's another thing to fear... Death, as if we don't know what's on the other side. And Jesus, by His resurrection, says, you don't have to fear that anymore. I have revealed what life is to be, and life is to be eternal. Life is to be uh, lived with me, He says. He's revealed that to us, and He's shown us how to handle suffering. No matter how we die no matter what happens whether it's at the hands of a cruel government being nailed to a cross or peacefully in our bed at a ripe old age we don't have to concern ourselves with it Jesus by his resurrection says Paul by his example here says the resurrection says that what I go through in this life doesn't really matter. If I am persecuted, if I am killed, if I am tortured for my faith, I have the power of His resurrection. Paul has already said a couple of times in this uh, letter, encourage them through the suffering that is either already there or is coming. It is a grace, he says, to suffer. And that's what gets us to this next portion. The other half of what it is to know Christ. The power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. I believe it was 119, if I remember correctly. And I don't. 129. I was was just one number off, right? Uh, Chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. It has been graced to you. It is grace to suffer. And Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of that suffering. Remember, this is the whole letter of Philippians is the joy of partnership. We talked about how we, we use the word fellowship wrong most of the time in the church. For us, fellowship is an ice cream supper. For Paul, fellowship was partnership, working together, doing things together. And Paul says, I want to know Christ through the partnership of Christ's sufferings. How did Christ suffer? Horribly. I mean, we, we can go back and we can read the uh, description of the day before and the day of his crucifixion. We can talk about medical uh, and, uh, um, descriptions of the actual crucifixion, what he went through on that cross, the physical suffering that he experienced. And Paul says, I want to partner in that with him to know Jesus is to partner in suffering. In this world, you will have troubles. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. We as believers will, we should be, suffering for our faith. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it every time I talk about persecution. It ain't persecution if you're being picked on for being a jerk. That's not persecution. Persecution. It's persecution if you, are be, if you are suffering for your faith. And Paul says it is coming. And it will happen, Paul says, as we look back through what he's already written, especially beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3. The fellowship of his sufferings will come when we, when he was, when we are unwilling to cave to religious legalism. For Paul, he knew he would suffer. The church in Philippi would suffer when they weren't willing to do the things that the folks would come to their church and say, hey, in order to be a good Christian, you've got to do these things. You've got to look like this. You have to act like this. You have to do these things. The, The fellowship of his suffering allows us to see the resurrection as the end of suffering. When we partner with Jesus in his suffering, he knew Jesus knew on the cross when he said it is finished and he breathed his last breath, he knew that his suffering was done and the next step was resurrection. So when we partner with Jesus, when we fellowship with Jesus in his suffering, we suffer with the resurrection in view, knowing that if Jesus suffered, died, and was resurrected, we will suffer, die, and be resurrected. It is coming. But that's part of the partnership. That's part of the agreement. Jesus didn't say, you'll suffer, then I'm done with you. And boy, it's going to be some suffering, but you know, whatever. He said, you'll suffer, but you will suffer with me, like me. I will be with you as you suffer, and the end is resurrection. Thirdly, I see in the fellowship of his sufferings, I see our minimal suffering and maybe one of us someday will die similar uh, similarly to how similar to how similar to how Jesus died the chances are extremely slim that anyone in this room will die that way our persecution our suffering will very likely be a minimal suffering by comparison but our minimal suffering is a testimony to Christ's maximal suffering when we suffer as Christians we only are giving an example to the rest of the world of how we should suffer of how we should take persecution we should hear from the lips of those who are persecuting us what Jesus heard or actually he was already dead what those at the foot of the cross heard from the centurion when he said surely this man was the son of god do we hear in the midst of our persecution do we hear in the midst of our suffering surely michael is a believer in jesus do they see it by my actions do they hear it in what i say not do I say it. I don't mean that. Not do I post it on social media. Not do I use all the right words. But do those who see it and hear it and know me say, He is obviously a believer because He's acting like His Savior? Because if we are claiming to be a believer and acting like the devil, Nobody's going to believe the words we say. They are only going to believe the way we act. They're only going to believe how we say other things or the other things that we do say. So our persecution should be a testimony to Christ's suffering. And then lastly, the fellowship in His suffering, the partnership of His suffering produces intimacy with Jesus. Misery loves company, and who better to go to when we are being persecuted for our faith than to the one for whom we are being persecuted, but who was also persecuted and suffered and died. So we, as we suffer this persecution, as we take part, and remember, this is Paul's goal Paul is not saying okay it's probably gonna happen that you suffer and are persecuted and when you do think about it this way he is saying my goal is to participate in the suffering so that it's proof that I've not caved to this religious legalism so that I can more joyously look forward to the resurrection of the end of the suffering so that I can present as a testimony my own suffering to everyone around me, a testimony to Christ's suffering so that I can have a more intimate relationship with Jesus because I have suffered as He has. Now this did not mean that Paul threw himself into lion's dens, put himself into a position where he was going to suffer persecution. He was not trying to make a martyr of himself, but what he was not going to do was compromise his faith, uh, compromise biblical principles when the time arose in order to save himself. He was going to stand up for the faith. And y'all, there's a difference between standing up for our rights and standing up for our faith. Those are not always the same. How we handle religious persecution should be exemplified and led by and informed by Scripture and not our constitution. The Bible should be what leads us. We have a wonderful system that allows us to vote and allows us to protest and allows us to meet and all these wonderful things. But the Constitution is not what guides the church. We believe in religious liberty not because of the Constitution, because of our consciences that are based on Christ and His Word. That's why we believe in religious liberty. So we stand up to a government that says no religious liberty because of the Bible, not because of the Constitution. If the Constitution goes away, we still believe in religious liberty. We still trust Jesus. And that is what informs us. So that, as I posted on social media a couple of weeks ago, so that we are using uh, chapter 1, verse... uh, I don't remember where it was now. It was chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. That is how we as Christians function. Everybody else is more important than me. Even when it comes to political decisions and we will suffer for it. And that's okay. That's our goal, to suffer for our faith. But this, this suffering then, this, first this knowing Jesus, our goal is to know Christ. And if we know Christ, then we have now the fourth point kind of that he makes here, in verse 11. My goal is to know Christ, and while knowing him, I'm sorry, I'm still in verse 10, That's a a typo on there. It should be verse 10. My goal is to know Christ, and while I'm doing that, I am being conformed to his death. That is a present passive participle. Present in Greek means it's happening constantly. Anytime you read this, it's happening. Anytime you say it, it's happening. Passive means it's happening to you. You aren't doing it. I am being conformed. My goal is to know Christ so that I am constantly being conformed. Now, I wish Paul had said, constantly being conformed to his will. Constantly being conformed to his statutes. Constantly being conformed to his teachings. But Paul said, I am constantly being conformed to his death. Paul you could have made a bit of more, you know, pick me up here instead of all this talk of death, suffering. Well, Paul just knew what's up. He knew what we as believers, what he as a believer would find in the future. I mean, the ultimate participation in suffering is death. That was, that was what Jesus came for, right? That's why he was here. But he knew he would have to suffer before that. And so if we are going to participate in his suffering, then we are going to be conformed to his death. But we have to go back even further. We've got to go back to the beginning of chapter 2 to really get this running start into this. Being conformed to Jesus' death since the whole purpose for him coming was to die, means that we have to empty ourselves. If we're going to be conformed to his death, then we have to go back to chapter 2, where it says in verse 5, adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. By the way, are y'all beginning to see why we move through a book in the Bible? And I don't just pull verses because it would be incredibly hard to reference all these verses that come prior to uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 if we hadn't already talked about these things. So now we've talked about them, you've read them, you've seen them, and he says, adopt the same attitude. Who came to die? The same attitude of Christ, who came to die? So if we're going to be conformed to his death, then we empty ourselves ourselves. Of ourselves no longer what I want doesn't matter about my privileges and my needs we humble ourselves doesn't matter what happens to us even if death happens to us because we are being conformed to his death but then we see Jesus not just dying for the sake of dying but dying for others it was no accident it was no tragic happenstance that he died it was his purpose it was his goal and his death was a substitutionary death for us all. We, if we're going to be conformed to his death, we see him, we see Paul, we see all the apostles suffering for the gospel, knowing that very likely and almost guaranteed for them, death was the end. So he is being conformed to the death of Christ by suffering for the gospel, knowing that death will likely be the result. But Paul also knew that in, conforming himself, in being conformed to the death of Christ, death is the only way to experience resurrection. Now, you may say, well, Michael, the rapture could happen before I die. You could, it could. But at that moment, you're not going to be splitting hairs. Now, Michael said in that sermon back on August 9th that we, uh, the, the, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Could be tomorrow, could be a thousand years. Let's just assume that we're all going to die. But regardless, leaving this earth, leaving this way of knowing ourselves, has to happen before we experience the resurrection. But we see with Jesus, he comes back in, It looks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, everything about Jesus, but we know there's something different about him because the dude can pass through walls now. He eats, and he can move through walls. So he's different than than what we are now. He has this new glorified body, which we are promised. So in being conformed to his death, we have the promise as well that we will have new glorified bodies. We've buried two church members this past week. Uh, Since COVID started, we've buried eight or nine, I think it's eight, church members. That's just since March. Every one of them has a new glorified body. Whatever killed them isn't affecting them anymore. They're done with that. They have been finally, completely, and ultimately conformed to the death of Christ. And that's Paul's goal. And he says this in light of to live as Christ, to die as gain, right? Same letter, he says that. And he says, my goal, if I'm not going to die, I'm going to live for Jesus. And my goal in living for Jesus is to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, to continue being conformed to his death, And I can do all of these things, verse 11, assuming I will reach the resurrection. Verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Now, that, we got some questions to answer here. He says assuming, which in English we always, almost always, assume means um, in... in, uh, Somebody said the word I'm trying to say, I thought. Uncertainty. That's the word I was trying to come up with. I don't have enough blood in me right now. can't think of all the words. Um, uncertainty. Oh, yeah, there it is, three times on my notes, you moron. Assuming I will reach the resurrection. So we, we, we get that a, a, assumption. Then in the Greek, he goes even further, because the I will reach, uh, I've talked about moods before. It's subjunctive. It, it always means may. It's a possible future. So we want to ask Paul, Paul, were you not sure? I mean, could you write letters such as Romans and then later on write a letter to the Philippians and say, man, I hope I'm saved. Man, I hope I go to heaven. Well, that just does not fit. Actually, it doesn't even fit with verses 12 through 14. It is immediately going to follow. So Paul is not talking here about an uncertainty that he has about whether or not he's going to go to heaven. Now there is, let's be honest, I don't know of any believer who has never at some point in their Christian walk said, man, I hope I'm right about this. I mean, the greats, Charles Stanley, wrote an entire book how can I be sure I'm a Christian? And in there, he expresses his own times of doubt. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who is widely considered to be one of the best Baptist preachers that has ever lived, talked about his own doubts. He suffered from depression regularly. He talked about his own doubts in the faith. I am confident that there were days when Paul said, is this all worth it Is this all real? And and you know, I mean, Jesus would just remember Damascus. Are you really going to ask if this is real? But yeah, sometimes. Especially you get far enough away from it, you're thinking, did I dream that? Or even if it was real, is it really worth it? Now, that's not what Paul's saying here, though. Paul is talking about some uncertainty. I mean, he's uncertain about why with the resurrection. What do I mean by that? I mean mean just the most basic. Why would Jesus save me? Why would he call me? Paul calls himself the chief chief of sinners. He, He knows he was a murderer of Christians. He knows he was a terrorist. And so... Why, I mean, I'm assuming that I will reach the the resurrection somehow. Somehow. But why me, Lord? Why did you even bother to save me? There's uncertainty about the the how. How are we saved? I mean, we know how. Repentance, faith in Jesus. We know that the grand transaction took place on the cross, Jesus' uh, perfection for my imperfection, his sinlessness for my sinfulness, okay? But, but, but that's really just an explanation of, of the, the surface explanation. You can explain to me that, I mean you can tell me that over here at Sitgo, Oil goes in one end of the pipe, and other stuff comes out. Plastic shelving, and aspirin, and gasoline. I don't know what they make, go. Gas, I guess, is all we make here. But petroleum products, like we're surrounded by them, right? Isn't plastic a petroleum-based product? And it, uh, aspirin, I thought, was a petroleum-based product. And... and so, so you can tell me that it goes in the pipes, it's heated, it's cool, it's done this, done that, and you can something else comes out on the other end, and I'll be oh, that's wonderful. But you did not tell me how that happens. Salvation's the same way. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. I know I repented of my sins. I know he promised me if I would place my faith and trust in him, I would be saved. But how? How are you gonna do that, Lord? Well, he doesn't give us the answer. I mean, he does. It, it, there's, there are hints along the way. But our minds will never grasp it. And I think, especially in some of our weaker moments, maybe with Paul, maybe this wasn't a weak moment, but he knew for the Philippians it would be, you're not going to understand this. You're not going to really get it. And that's okay. The uncertainty is okay. Of course... The other how we have here is he's wondering how he's going to die. Am I going to live to a ripe old age, preaching the gospel, die in the pulpit? Or is this it? Is it, is it wild animals tearing me apart in the Colosseum? Is it crucifixion like Jesus? Is it my head lopped off? How, how is this going to... Or is it uh, second coming? Am I never going to experience death? the way I think it. I'm just going to experience the resurrection. He's uncertain about that, and we, we all are there as well. Of course, he doesn't know when. Is this it? Is it tomorrow? Am I going to die here under house arrest? Is it going to be at the end of a court proceeding? But Paul is never uncertain about if. Paul never questions, but like, except for like I said earlier, maybe in those few moments, the occasional, especially when we look at our sin, right? How could Jesus still love me? How could I still be saved after doing this? No, Paul's not doing that here. Paul's not questioning questioning his salvation here. He's not questioning if he will ever see Jesus here because he knows what his goal is. He knows that his goal is to know Christ. He knows that Christ has imputed upon him the power of his resurrection, he knows that through the partnership, the fellowship of the sufferings with Jesus, he knows that his, as his life is conformed to the death of Christ, that he can safely assume, I can assume confidently, that I will reach the resurrection of the dead somehow. I will be with Jesus. I know that. So all this other stuff is fine. So what should I do? What's what's the takeaway today? Well, have one goal. To know Christ fully. To know Christ. See, we we actually dealt with two of the three parts of the Christian life. If we had gone back and included verses... uh, Seven, actually, maybe verse nine. Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. We would have, if we had labeled that verse, we would have called it justification, salvation, faith in Christ, being made sinless, just as if justification, just as if I would never sinned. Then verse 10 moves us into sanctification. My goal is to know Him, the power of His resurrection, the um, fellowship of His suffering. I want to be more like Jesus, Paul says. That is supposed to be our goal every day. That is sanctification, being made more holy, being made more like Jesus. And then verse 11 would be our glorification. That we will reach the resurrection from among the dead. So our what should I do is just have one goal, to know Christ fully. Everything in your life should lead to that. Everything. I mean, how much sleep you get. Your, Your meal in the morning. What you're doing that day, the lunch, the supper, the family time, the leisure time, should all have the purpose, all have the goal of knowing Christ fully. But Michael, that's too much. i got a life to live. You do? Whose life? whose, Whose life are you living? Because... I thought you gave your life to Christ. I thought it was all His now. I thought you had been bought with a price. And that means that we have one goal. If you've not been bought with a price, if you don't even understand what that means, what salvation means, what justification means, well, justification is another word for being made right by faith. Faith is a way to remember how we can be made right with Jesus it begins with forgiveness. That's what we all need. We all need forgiveness from our sins. That, avail- that forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. That's why He came. He came to the world uh, to uh, God so loved the world that He gave his son that whoever believeth, believe in Him would have. Uh, I really am worried about the lack of blood. This is funny. I came and quote John three sixteen right. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There, I I do know that verse. Okay. You can have forgiveness, and it is available. But y'all, it's not automatic. We cannot read these passages and think, "Well, Jesus died. I'm good." You have to make a decision. It's impossible for God to allow sin into heaven. It is impossible for you to earn your way to heaven. So, what you do is you turn from your sin, you repent of your sin, and you turn to Jesus and you ask Him to save you. And you know Him. You know the power of His resurrection. You know the fellowship of His suffering. And then the promise is heaven on earth, an abundant life, and the resurrection that is to come. And you can have what Paul is talking about, the one goal of knowing Jesus, and then the ability, the joy of assuming that you will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you still offer that forgiveness. Thank you. That if if we set the goal of our life to be knowing you, knowing Christ, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, that we will constantly be conformed to His death and we can live in confidence of the resurrection with Him. God, we thank you that you work in our lives. We thank you that you continue to draw us, that you continue to work in our hearts. And I pray this morning that you would work in the hearts of believers. Again, that we would reorient our lives, and and tomorrow and this afternoon we would make that small course correction to know Jesus, and that everything in our lives would point to that. And then, Lord, tomorrow and the next day and the next day, that that's our goal. And, Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior or someone who's listening that doesn't, I pray today that they would have faith. They would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, follow Him, and know the promise of salvation. God, work on us today as we worship You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in these last few minutes, we're going to sing, and this is your time to do business with the Lord. Let Him draw you, let Him change you. If it is your desire to follow Jesus uh, for salvation, then you can do that today. You can grab me, Tom, Amy, somebody after the service. We would love to talk to you. Prayer rails are open if you want to come pray. We ask that uh, you would spend this time, though, letting God work on you as we sing.